Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if it's still raining at the end of the service, you can stay for the children's pageant <laughs> at 11 o'clock. Uh, well, today we've come to uh, the beginning of the second week of Advent, and uh, with it we receive our annual visit from none other than John the Baptist, uh, which I have to confess to you is a little bit of a challenge to me because I have preached a lot of sermons on John the Baptist, including two in a row just uh, last uh, Advent, about how he was the advanced man, the forerunner of Jesus, and how his call to prepare the way, to be perfectly honest with you, really wasn't about the birth of Jesus, rather than the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, because as you may know, John and Jesus were basically the same age, and yet uh, the church uh, in its creativity has maneuvered the story of John into the season of Advent, obviously because his message is a perfect fit for our time of preparation for another celebration of Christmas. And so I've talked about how John is the one who announces uh, the coming of Christ, how his uh, diet and wardrobe uh, were kind of quirky to you and me, uh, but they approximated the diets and the wardrobes of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and therefore were signs that John was in their league. I've talked about John's prickly personality and uh, his undiplomatic uh, style, and how uh, when my high school was casting for uh, the production of the musical Godspell, I was considered for the role of Jesus, but was given the role of John the Baptist. <laughs> because in the words of the director, Mr. Miller, you know, Mark, you're really not like Jesus. <laughs> and I have given many ideas over the years about what it means to prepare the way of the Lord and to make his paths straight by adjusting your crooked thinking, by moving away whatever obstacles you piled up in your life that obstruct your relationship with God. I've talked about how John was a herald which is an official title for a messenger of important news and why we have things like uh, the Miami Herald and the Boston Herald. And we like to sing, hark the herald angels sing because they were the ones who made the big announcement of our savior's birth. Heralds were people who conveyed messages to and from commanders on the battlefield in medieval times. Heralds were the ones who uh, prior to literacy, would go in and make announcements into the towns and villages. And uh, throughout history, kings had heralds going in front of them and ahead of them to announce their arrival or their coming so that if you were a king, you just didn't go into a place and say, hi, everyone, I'm the king. In fact, uh, there's at least one English translation of today's passage uh, which says uh, that John heralded the coming of Christ instead of John proclaimed uh, the coming of Christ. And while all of those things are true, nevertheless, I had to ask myself the question, well, what can I say that I haven't already said about John and his ministry and what it means to us? What haven't I noticed? What haven't I explored? And that too is kind of a difficult question to be honest with you because today's reading comes from the gospel according to Mark. Uh, which, besides its great name, <laughs> is, 
is actually the shortest of the four Gospels, and it contains the fewest number of details about John and his ministry. And yet, as I like to say, when it comes to Holy Scripture, you know, the deeper you dig, the deeper it gets. And so, uh, by God's grace, in response to that question, today's passage takes me to two places that I want to share with you. And the first place is the wilderness. Because John is the one who Isaiah foretold as this voice that would cry out in the wilderness. And that voice would be fulfilled in John and his proclamation of the coming of Christ. And yet it occurs to me that for all the times I've talked about John and who he was and what he did, I haven't spent nearly as much time talking about the spiritual context and the place in which he did it. And that place is the wilderness, which it turns out in Holy Scripture is a place of profound connection with God. Moses sees the burning bush in the Midianite wilderness. Children of Israel journey from their freedom in Egypt to the promised land through the wilderness. David hides from his enemies in the wilderness. Elijah is ministered to in the wilderness. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and John the Baptist lives in, preaches in, baptizes in, and cries out in the wilderness of Judea, because the wilderness represents a barren place, a place of desperation, a dry place where we are alone, apart from the comforts of this world and circumstances that are hard and difficult. And if you know me, you can probably hear the question coming. What's the wilderness for you? As you come to this second week of Advent, what does it represent for you today? Is the wilderness your burnout, spiritually or professionally? Is the wilderness war around this world? Is a conflict in our own nation? Is the wilderness something that represents a, a personal loss in your life, or, or is it physical pain, or is it depression, is it anxiety, is it worry about your children, is it you know, just feeling overwhelmed by the responsibilities that are resting on your shoulder? Where is the wilderness for you, and where do you need to hear a voice crying out in the wilderness saying to you, Here is your God. In fact, it's interesting to me that in the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, the word for desert or wilderness is almost exactly the same as the word for speak or to speak to, which I don't think is a coincidence because it turns out that some of the greatest encounters and best conversations that people have ever had with God are in the wilderness of this life. And John the one who was foretold was a voice crying out in the wilderness saying, here is your God, here is Jesus coming over the horizon of history. The other place uh, to which my question uh, took me this time around was even a greater surprise to me, to be honest with you, as I found myself uh, transported about 30 years into the future from uh, the time of today's lesson and about 1,500 miles to the west into the ancient city of Rome about halfway through the first century. And I would 
I'd like to invite you to imagine yourself living there at that time, and you are a Christian, and you get up one morning like today, and you make your way to worship in a place known as the catacombs. And the catacombs were places outside of and beneath the city of Rome that included burial chambers where other religious practices were held. And some people even went to worship there because they were afraid to worship publicly in their neighborhoods or in their homes because the persecution of Christians in Rome under Emperor Nero was raging. And if you were a Christian, you were at risk for subjecting yourself to arrest or maybe even execution. Nero was a brutal, ungodly leader who had Christians literally burned at the stake in order to provide light to his gardens at night. Nero blamed the early Christian community for a fire that he himself may have set that swept through the city so that he could rebuild it according to his liking. If you were a Christian worshiping that day, the catacombs were your wilderness, and yet you were hanging on to Jesus. You believed in him because he is your savior, and not even Nero can take that faith away from you. And so imagine yourself worshiping in the catacombs And then someone in your group reads for the very first time ever in your life the words of a newly published book entitled The Gospel According to Mark, which was written sometime in the late 50s or early 60s, right around the time of the fire. It was influenced heavily by the apostle Peter himself. And its original intended audience were those Christians suffering in the persecution in the city of Rome halfway through the first century, as well as non-Christians who had yet to receive the message of Jesus. Imagine yourself hearing those words of Mark chapter 1, verse 1 for the very first time, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. And as soon as you hear those words, Tears are welling up into your eyes because those words are familiar to you, especially one word in that verse, which is the word evangelion, in which you can almost hear the word evangelism. It means good news. It's translated the gospel. And they needed that good news. But they also knew that that word evangelion was not original to the teachings or the message of Jesus or to the books known as the Gospels. Evangelion is a word that was also used in pagan culture and it was specifically a reference to the ascendancy of a king. In fact, as you worshiped in the catacombs, you may have even thought back to an inscription that was issued in the year 9 BC in connection with a new calendar, a provincial calendar that was being issued and that would count the time based on the birth of Caesar Augustus, the founder and first emperor of Rome. 
And you would have remembered that inscription, which actually was excavated in 1899 and is now in a museum in Berlin, Germany. And part of that inscription includes these words. Providence has ordained the most perfect consummation of human life by giving it to Augustus, filling him with virtue, and by sending in him a savior for us so that the birthday of the Son of God, Augustus, is the beginning for the world of the good news, the Evangelion. Imagine knowing that inscription about the birth of Caesar Augustus, Son of God, the bringer of good news, knowing the truth, and then for the first time in your life, hearing the title, the opening words of the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Evangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. And you are receiving the assurance that you have longed for in all your Christian life. Namely, that the birth of Jesus trumps the birth of the emperor. That the good news of Jesus is the news of forgiveness and reconciliation and hope and life for you, come what may, forever, in the wilderness and onto the glory of God. And that you might have even imagined that there could possibly come a day, thousands of years into the future, when the time was still being counted on the calendar by the birth of Jesus and by the birth of the emperor. And so with that, the Gospel of Mark gets underway with the introduction of a herald, an official messenger who breaks into the wilderness and says to the world, here is your God, as Jesus comes over the horizon of history. And he says to those to whom he proclaims, get excited about him. Don't get excited about me. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Who would have ever imagined that the language of an imperial cult would turn into the language of hope and faith in Jesus and that that language would be strong enough to get you up this morning and get you here on this rainy day and into this place to celebrate the Evangelion, the good news that breaks into our hearts and changes our lives forever. And so it turns out that uh, I am once again thankful for our yearly visit from none other than John the Baptist, the herald in the wilderness, and for St. Mark, the herald in mid-first century Rome, and for all the voices that you hear in the wilderness of your life, whatever it is, whatever it represents for you, and says to you, the thing you long for, the thing you need, here is your God. And for all the chances that you and I will have to be those heralds, to bring this good news to those around us through our actions and this through this actions and uh, through our words as well, so that those who live in the wilderness of this broken world 
might experience the closeness, the intimacy, the grace of God, and together we might celebrate joy to the world, no matter where you are and no matter where you go. Amen.